The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? No time, Tom. We gotta go. A call girl. You cough all day? Huh? I'm out of She a four-line fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in LA, anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody. Since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops. Put it down! Put it down! Put it down! Christian Slater. Patricia Arquette. Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did. I think what you did. Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True romance. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo. And I'm your co-host, Kyle. Kyle. Um, this is what happens when we let Kyle pick movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> we will be covering, this is episode 143, True Romance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christian Slater, who's, who's great in so many movies. Um, and this is another uh, Tarantino movie, so... Well, a Tarantino-written movie, not a yes. directed movie, but still, right. yes. For considering how we usually cover movies that cover... Like, we try to we try to make this podcast appropriate for all audiences. Sometimes movies aren't. And this is definitely in the category of the film is not appropriate <laughs> for all audiences. Yes. But still. Um, well, not only that, but it's... Uh, what is it? Produced by uh, the, oh, the Weinstein Harvey company Weinstein, during that whole the, uh, the bad one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who's now a sexual predator. So... Uh, it, it, it just Kyle can't pick movies anymore is all that's going to be. But Kyle, before we get started, I do have a question. All right, Jimbo. And this one just occurred to me as I was uh, went to McDonald's this morning and got a breakfast sandwich. Okay. Kyle, when you eat your sandwich, a hamburger, whatever, chicken. Yeah. Do you eat it like face up, like sesame seeds up or <laughs> sesame seeds down? Like oh. on the bun. Because it goes two ways. Like if you're, you know, I've seen people eat it with like the cheese, it goes the bread, the cheese, you know, the, the toppings, the cheese, then the burger, then the bottom bun. Yeah. Or do you eat it with like, it looks so, like in a picture. So it, the answer is, it depends on the sandwich. The cow said it doesn't uh, matter. It's no, 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 there is, it's, it, there is logic to this. When, oh, when no. it's like a fast food, like just shoved in your face sandwich. 
face up, like Sesame Seed up all the way, no problem at all, because it just doesn't matter. It's meant to just be, you, you could feed me through a tube that way. That's how, that's the quality of that sandwich. But when I'm eating a nice sandwich, I will eat, I, I will, I will eat it first side up, but then I will set it down with the Sesame Seed down so that all the juices collect in that top bun and get all the flavor in there. That's what, that's what, like, if I'm, if I'm eating a nice hamburger or something like that, I will set it down face down because I overthink about my food and I eat it that way. So that's the way I, that my philosophy on sandwich eating, because I saw a YouTube video when I was like 13 and that's how they said to eat sandwiches. So I did that the rest of my life. I think you're um, one of those psychos that eat all their French fries before they move on to their hamburger too, aren't you? No, 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 no. I, I, I no, no, no. I, I, I do even greater psycho stuff. Right, you're going for it. Sometimes take everything off the sandwich and put French fries on it, then put everything back on the sandwich to add French fries to my sandwich, and I eat it like a maniac. Well, like why, a why, why? I should have known by asking a food question and not a movie question. You would find the most like disgusting, the, fat any way possible the, uh, for me to eat food. The That's food connoisseur, food. Kyle himself. Well, Jimbo, how do you eat your sandwiches, Mr. Hot? Plain, no <laughs> toppings. Oh, my God. Cheese only. You monster. <laughs> Thank you. Monster. Well, the place of that's hey, there's a place of that lettuce. We all go a little crazy I, sometimes. I want my sandwich all the way, baby. I want everything on it. Put the <laughs> put the put put the cat on it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Alf, settle down. <laughs> wow, it's going to be one of those episodes. It is a Tarantino oh, movie, always. So, um, yeah. Also, this is your the last episode before our live show this Saturday. Um, it's going to be a fun time in Lebanon, Indiana at the Boone County uh, Jailhouse Distillery with Hillbilly Horror Stories with Jerry and Tracy Pauly and the guys from the Middle Ages and Creeped Out with Todd, Sean, and Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, we have got some stuff planned on our end. Um, it, we don't want to tell what we're doing at, uh, right now. Are we going to see um, the movie we're covering? No, no, we're not. We've got to come to the live show. We've got to come to the live show to see it. That's what I'm telling you, Jim. Well, we may cover it the week after. The week after, let them know, see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. And we'll, we'll come back and do a recap of how the live show went. Um, also, um, ADZ is going to be there from the Twilight Zone podcast series. So uh, if you want to meet him too. Also, my dad, our toast from the Universal Monster series that we do is going to be there. And yes, we will be unveiling our new logo. Um, you will see us all in our new shirts with updated our new designs updated and all stuff. designs. Yeah. Yes, and it has Kyle, me, my dad, and ADZ all on there. So um, if you want to get a sneak peek of that, um, yeah. you can go check out on T Public, uh, search the tragedy of cinema and you'll find the new logo there. So yeah, <laughs> we're selling it, but we're not showing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but like uh, from time podcast, we'll definitely get some new debuts of the shows. Us wearing the shirts, it'll be but, awesome. But if, but if you've yeah. been following along on our Facebook, you probably have already seen it. Yeah, or yeah. the link to go see it. Yeah, so. we get some mug stuff. You know, all kinds of merchandise. All right, Kyle, we've rambled on long enough. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into this episode that you made me do. Um, yes, I'm which so, I stayed I'm up monster. till five o'clock this morning. I wasn't even going to go to bed. Uh, but I, I I pulled through. Who needs sleep when you have movies, Jimbo? All right. Who needs sleep when you have Sicilians? <laughs> Sicilians don't need sleep. It's the truth. Okay. <laughs> In the fields, the Sicilians. Oh gosh, this movie. Uh... <laughs> we have the the the, the premature. Uh, okay. What's... Can we go ahead and just say this right off the top? This is a hard R. Yes. Um, the language. Language alone. <laughs> and there is some, uh, I will just say, controversial language they use in this movie. Um, especially the whole Christopher Walken, uh, Dennis Hopper. Bit. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. know this going in. It is a strong language. Uh, yeah. Lots of violence. Yeah. Lots of... There's a lot you can say that was wrong then and is wrong now, frankly. Well, it's but a Harvey Weinstein movie. It's a Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> it's Quentin Tarantino in his most Quentin Tarantino-esque phase. Right. You know, he's certainly mellowed out as a director and as a producer now. But still, this movie is rough <laughs> around the edges, even though I appreciate it still. But let's move on to covering the actual facts of the movie, and we'll see how it goes here. Um, we have the movie True Romance, released on September 8th in, two, uh, two, in 1993, not 2000. That'd be way too early for this film. <laughs> yep. Directed by Tony Scott. Tony Scott, the original director of Top Gun and other films. Written by Quentin Tarantino. Of course, Quentin Tarantino, like Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2, Fane, and uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Many films where it has some... Did- 
he you know. did he also write uh, Dust Till Dawn? Yes, from Dust Till Dawn. He I did know he write was that in movie, it. and he was a yeah, and I think he also was a producer on that film to some degree as well. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah, he was a he was the writer of that movie as well. Um, composed by the legendary Hans Zimmer, who did, did named best movies of all time. He he did, he did music on it. <laughs> What's your best movie of all time? You did music on it. You just did. John Williams has yeah. entered the chat. <laughs> yes, yes. True, 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 true. But him and Hans Zimmer just... Jerry Goldsmith. Do we need to keep going? Kyle? Yes, yes. Composers are awesome. We'll, we'll, we need to do we those. We need to do a composer We need movie. to do those composer dedicated episodes simply so I can remember which one goes to which. Because I, <laughs> I always do the false aperture. I know, I know. Where it's like I give credit to the wrong composer because there's like like there's like a half dozen of composers that are like the best composers in the world. And to me, they're all the same. Because I'm rude. They're all just John Williams. Exactly. They're all just John Williams. <laughs> But of course, that's why this film has such an amazing soundtrack, though. That's so much better than you would expect from this film. All right, Kyle, I have oh, a question. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> if an artist was going to uh, do a, uh, a compose a song for your life, who would it be? Gosh, uh, I have no idea, Chip. That's the weirdest question ever. I don't even know how to answer that. Who would compose the song to my life, my soul? Oh, God. I'll how take how, a weird Al Yankovic how, for you. <laughs> it's like, how depressing can Just it get, right? Eat it. It's sure, makes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Immediate tight questions immediately. Did you know that like Sir, Sir Mixlot is super into CV radios? It's like his entire life, and he goes by I think it's a, he goes by his handle is Prime Minister on the CV radio up in the Pacific Northwest, and he goes on it like every day. and talks all the time. The old ham radios. Yes, my brother-in-law does that too. Which so is I can't so say cool. But I just imagine like just driving through the states listening to the radio, and then you listen to somebody's like, I think that's Sir Mixlot. <laughs> It's crazy. Uh, or was it Sinbad? I've, no, it's Sir Mix-a-Lot. I'm sure. Kyle just totally made up a whole entirely new story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so who's going to be your, the composer of your life? I think Weird Al is a great choice. I need to just move on from that. Otherwise, I'll give a terrible answer that's depressing somehow. Uh, Hans Zimmer would describe my life. Uh, I know he'd do it well. I mean, he couldn't do it wrong. That's for sure. Um, I think mine would be the Olympic theme. <laughs> The Team Miracle World Police song. <laughs> Trey Parker and Matt Stone composing the song of my life. <laughs> wow. It's, it's a lot more problematic now. <laughs> uh, okay. Cinematography by Jeffrey L. Kimball. Editors were Michael Tronick and Christian Wagner. Casting directors were Rizzy, um, Risa Brahman Garcia and Billy Hopkins. I'm missing the casting directors and editors here because they did the perfect job as well. Um, moving on to a quick little summary of the film. Um, in Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track him down and attempt to reclaim it. Yeah, that pretty much describes the whole that's, movie. That's pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that's spoiling it all, too. Well, and what people need to realize is Christian Slater, who is the main character of this, he has Elvis Presley in his head. Yes. As a, as a like a, uh, it's like almost like a dark, like a dark ego or something, or something like that. Yeah. Like it's his, like, yeah, it, it's his id, his subconscious almost, telling him what he needs to do and what we're survival. So like, yeah, like it's his fallback mind when he goes into like his nature mode. Yeah, uh, yeah, really kind of crazy. Where it's like, <laughs> you know, when Elvis Presley shows up, you know, he's gonna tell him to do something that's probably a bad thing to do. More, <laughs> go kill some people. Okay, Elvis. <laughs> you know, you made me proud. Yeah, yeah. But when we get to the cast leader, you see who plays Elvis, and you're like, that's amazing, too. Uh, yes, and you never um, really see him. That's even more amazing. That's the craziest part, really. Like, like, below the neck. Like, the only show was faced, like, in a mirror obscured once. Uh, okay, okay, moving to the budget, though. Budget of the film is twenty uh, was $13 million, estimated. Adjusted for inflation, that'd be about $27.3 million. Opening weekend, it brought in about $4 million, worth about $8.4 million here today. And gross worldwide, it actually just barely broke even at $13.1 million. Adjusted for inflation, about around 27.4.5, right around that general area. Just guesstimate, really. Um, but, uh, yeah, so like it just barely broke even on its budget, and then like you factor in marketing and everything else. Too good chance this film actually lost a great deal of money because they probably spent like another another six and a half million just promoting the film. Well, just look you at know. the cast. Oh yeah, yeah. Once I right. get there, oh yeah, you just... sure like like ninety percent of the budget almost went to the cast, and then the rest went to guns and bullets <laughs> and blood, blood and blood effects. Yes, uh, no, yes. no, they used real cocaine. 
yeah. the suitcases. Simultaneously, though, this movie came out before a lot of these actors right. got significantly bigger roles in their futures. So that's that's a cool part too. Um, so that's that's interesting to kind of think about. Um, but yeah, but um, do you know what? I think I'm just going to kind of skip kind of the other like the side technical notes and move right to the cast, and then we'll go into. Um, actually, I don't think there's actually any awards for this film technically. Don't believe there is. Uh, did I miss it? Let me check real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, we do have a few awards. Okay, I'll go through those in a minute. Uh, but first, I'm going to move on to the cast first and the awards. Cast Why not? Yeah, yeah. So, first off on the cast, we have the legendary Kristen Slater playing Car- Clarence Worley. Only named like once or twice in the film, actually. That Kristen Slater, of course, very well known for such films such as Broken Arrow in 1996 with John Travolta. Have you ever seen Cuffs? Cuffs? Oh, no, I've not. It's a great, it's a great it's a good, movie by Christian Isn't that a cop movie where he plays yeah. a cop? Yeah. His brother was a cop, gets killed. And he I heard nothing good things about that. i got to add that to my list sometimes. And the movie um, Very Bad Things, 1998. And he was also in the show Mr. Robot from 2015 to 2019. And he was also in Robin and Prince of Thieves where he played Will. Oh, yeah. He was also in like one episode of... Uh, oh, no, he was in the Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. You mentioned yep, that too. Six. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think... Very small role, but he's in there. It's cool. And I'm sure yeah, he's actually a huge Trekkie fan, if I remember correctly, too. And that's why he got in for that little bit role, which is really cool for him. Um, but, yeah, but moving on here, we have Patricia, uh, Patricia Arquette playing the character of Alabama Whitman. <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> what a great name. Alabama Whitman. I love it. Yeah. And uh, Patricia Arquette, also known for such films such as uh, Boyhood in 2014, that whole film where they, span- they actually filmed a real kid growing up from 20, uh, like 2000. I want to say 2000, 2000 to 2015 or something like that. Like, get a good part of his entire life almost for like 13 years. Um, she was also in the show The Medium mm-hmm. in 2005, 2011. And the film Holes with Shia LaBeouf in 2013 where he uh, she was the uh, she was like the outlaw former teacher that goes runs a Reven gang of Lunatic's awesome movie. Um, next up, we have the legendary Dennis Hopper playing the character of Clifford Worley, Clarence Worley's father. Dennis Hopper only gets about like three major scenes in the film, but still makes a great impact. Dennis Hopper is also, of course, in the film's Easy Rider in 1969, where probably his most iconic singular role as the main character of that film. And then we have films like Speed in 1994 with Keanu Reeves, where he plays the huge antagonist, Bomber. You know, so that's a great film as well. Then Waterworld in 1995, where he devours the scenery in every scene he's in. It absolutely steals that movie. An amazing um, work of art there. He hams it to 11. It's so good. Dennis Hopper's an amazing actor. Also, Hoosiers. Hoosiers, yes. Hoosiers with Gene Hackman. Yeah. Great film as well. Uh, Dennis Hopper had an amazing career. Don't know anything about him as a person, but like as, as an actor, spot on. Dude, just he owns it. Next up, we have Val Kilmer playing the role of the mentor or Elvis Presley, the king himself. <laughs> Val, <laughs> and I'll throw this in here right Go now. Go ahead. Val Kilmer had to spend eight hours in makeup <laughs> to transform into Elvis. <laughs> And Eight hours. for yeah, and for what? <laughs> All you had to do was have that gold jumpsuit on with some rings, and they have the giant on and the glasses, and they got their giant sunglasses on them and a wig. That's all you need, right? <laughs> and I'm like, so why was he spending eight hours just the, for the chair? Even if they do like an 8K restoration, 20 years on the line, you're still not going to be able to make out his face, right? <laughs> I don't understand. I need somebody to explain. Unless there was going to be a bigger role. That's what I got to think. I would say. There's got to be some cutting room floor stuff that has him more up close, something like that, too. There's got to be something more related to that. I have no idea. But, yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, But still, uh, for the scenes he's in, though, makes an impact for sure. So that's pretty cool. And I love his voice is so... He has the cadence right, but the tones are off enough to be like almost dis- even more disturbing in a way. Well, they didn't think that they could get the rights for using the real likeness of Elvis yeah. from Lisa Marie, so they had, they had to, to imply it. Right. Yeah, even though in the very first scene of the film, it's immediately Christian Slater talking about Jailhouse Rock and how much she wants to sleep with Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not gay or anything, but <laughs> if I had to. <laughs> He's the more sort of gay, though. <laughs> this. Rough movie. <laughs> and that's just the opening scene. <laughs> the opening scene. And it does not get better on that scene. No. Um, once again, Quentin Tarantino sure wrote, sure wrote whenever he wanted to say. Um, he captured a certain voice. I'll give him credit for that. Um, okay, next up here, we have Gary Oldman playing a very... Gary Oldman role. I mean, Drexel Speedy. Um, he looked awesome, dude. Like Rastafarian haircut, the one eye, star, glass, yeah, star, eye, glass eye, with a voice that makes no sense. But you know, you know what they say. They say that when I was watching, um, I was reading something about him. They said that he was he was portraying 
a white a white boy who thought he was black. Yes, and that's yes. that's how, that's how that, he played that, it, and that's how he played it, and he plays it very well, of course. And, and we'll get some of the notes about how he came up with this. So yeah, it's one of those things. It's like it feels like you took character choices on a dartboard and just threw and saw what happened, or See you just you spun a wheel and like whatever it landed on, that was an aspect of your character, <laughs> and that's how you came up with Drexel's. But, but but let's. Let's appreciate Gary Oldman for all the movies he's been in. Oh, yeah. The, the roles are iconic, and just the way he acts in them. I mean, you can go from uh, well, the, the Nolan, Fifth Element. Yeah, Fifth Element uh, in 1997. Batman. Leon the Professional in 1994. Um, yeah, the, the, the Nolan Batman trilogy um, playing for uh, what, Golden. Was it uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah, Bram Stoker's Dracula, where he played Dracula. Right. Um, Gary Oldman, uh, fantastic actor. And it's gotten the credit he deserves. I'm yes, respect too. Like, absolutely. People respect him in the industry. Um, I think... <laughs> Um, gosh, he was also some of the voices in Call of Duty for a long time too, which is very funny. He's been in a lot of the Call of Duty games where he's uh, he's like one of the generic voices in the background. Like, Take cover! <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Little known fact about him, <laughs> uh, but very funny as well. Um, yeah, so Gary Oldman, great tune. This movie, by the way, huge stacked cast, and oh, you'll yeah. realize that immediately in the credits too. Like you know, put this like Samuel Jackson only has one scene. In this well, film. you were doing when I was starting. I I knew Christian Slater was in it. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, Gary Oldman. Oh, Samuel L. Jackson. You just keep going. You're like, oh, like, this movie has Tom James Sizemore? Really? James Gandolfini? Yeah, I was like, yeah. Christopher Walken? Brad I'm like, Pitt? Where's, where's Brad Pitt in this film? <laughs> yeah. And then you see him, you're like, oh. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's why he was way down there on the couch. <laughs> Speaking of which, Brad Pitt plays the role of Floyd, who, um, we'll get to the other character, Deuce Dick's roommate. <laughs> Like it's just, just a, just a pothead who. He kind of reminds me no of Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yes, yeah, as, as the adult, like right. Spicoli would have grown up to be. Well, no, except not surfing. Although it would be surprised if that character surfed. Um, yes, and of course Brad Pitt, or you know, best known films such as you know Fight Club, nineteen ninety nine. Um, the other Tarantino film, the only other Tarantino film he's in, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in twenty nineteen. Just yeah, he was like in what, four Meet years Joe ago. Black and oh, uh, Legends yeah. of the Fall. Oh yeah, Brad Pitt, of course, had you know World War Z, tons of movies. Ad Astra and. 2019 as well that sci-fi movie i hadn't watched yet um yeah but yeah it, you know, like it's more like if you didn't see the credits you may not even recognize that as brad pitt right. because you're so used to the um the the such the uh the man's man part of brad pitt where like he just he looks like essentially the most like maximum sex appeal male ever basically well there's like you know when i was watching it and then they get to the uh, there's the guy that's sitting behind the police officers i guess he's the chief of police yeah, and I'm like I know this guy. He's been in a thousand movies, but I cannot oh, picture his name. That character's actor. Uh, if, I, if I find an actor, I'll look. I'll try to highlight if I see it real quick down here. But he's on the list, I'm sure. Um, next up, though, we have Christopher Walken playing um, Don uh, Vincenzo um, Concasi. I, I can't. It's a Sicilian name. Don Sicilian. <laughs> Um, of course, played by Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken, also legendary actor in his own right in many respects, just like as impactful as Gary Oldman or Dennis Hopper or any other legendary actors in this film. Um, uh, Christopher Walken, of course. Um, I don't me, know. He was in Balls of Fury. <laughs> we talk, we, you mean the classic Balls of Fury? <laughs> uh, I think I think he did a really good job in Prophecy. If you've ever seen Prophecy, uh, I haven't seen Prophecy. Good. Uh, what was it? Deer Hunter. I think like seven psychopaths, films like that too. But the, yeah, the Deer Hunter in 1978. Um, he's also he was in Pulp Fiction 1994. Uh, oh, Click in 2006. Remember that oh, Adam yeah. Sandler? That was a fun movie. Where he played like <laughs> the guy in Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, essentially he was Rick from Rick and Morty. <laughs> Sure. It's about. Um, next up, we have um, uh, Bronson Pidgeot playing the character of Elliot Blitzer. Um, Bronson was also in the film, uh, the Beverly Cops, uh, the Beverly Hills Cop trilogy of films with uh, Eddie Murphy, and he was also in Risky Business in 1983. Do you know what he's most famous for, though, Kyle? What is he most famous for? Jim from the television show from TGI, uh, TGIF back in the 90s. Perfect Strangers, where he played Balky Bartokomos. Oh, wow. He was okay. also in the Langolier, or Tommy Knockers. Usually when I try and cover the cast notes, I try to like avoid TV shows, because I always get yeah, the Yeah, but that's his up. most iconic role. You're, you're right, though. I should have I included that one in. Oh, well. But it's still... Shame on you. I know, I know, I know, right? I, I, why do you even have me on here? <laughs> I don't know. I question myself every week. Every week. Like, like this was a bad idea. Oh, and Kyle's you're usually right. Again. I feel like Forrest Gump. Here's Kyle. Yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to trim off a little bit of the, some of the credits going on here, because this cast is just huge. Um, next up, we have uh, oh, excuse me, 
<coughs> oh, good cough. Always great for the audio listeners. Um, next up, we have Michael Rappaport playing the character of... a show without you coughing or Exactly, or right? I can't even talk. Um, Michael Rappaport playing the character of Dick Ritchie. Michael Rappaport... I'm talking too fast now. i got to slow it down. Michael Rappaport was also in the films Deep Blue Sea in 1999 and Men of Honor in 2006. And also, he was in The, um, the Sixth Day with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that film, too. That was terrible. Mike, yeah, this is a bad movie. But Michael Rappaport's a really cool... I, He's like, a, he's like a really general guy actor in a way that I really appreciate. <laughs> like, you, look like, you look up default man in an encyclopedia, you get a picture of Michael Rappaport. <laughs> like, neither incredibly handsome nor ugly. Just like, you're just a guy. <laughs> he plays that role perfectly. Oh, he's Ken from Barbie. That's okay. Just, talk about a backup insult. A <laughs> backhanded, backhanded compliment right there for me. Um, but I gotta move on. Um, Michael Rappaport, if you ever hears that, I'm mean, gonna feel so bad. Um, next up, we have Saul Rubinek playing the character of Lee Donowitz. Saul Rubinek was also in the films Unforgiven in 1992. That's a great film we should cover sometime. Um, and he was also in the film The Ballad of Buster Scruggs in 2018. I gotta see that film. I've seen nothing, I've seen clips of that film, and it looks absolutely hilarious and amazing. And I really want to see that. Just an ultraviolet movie where a guy is completely jovial. It's like Mr. Rogers, but he's a psychopath. It's great. <laughs> I've got to watch it sometime. Um, next up, we have Conchetta Farrell playing the character of Mary Louise Ravencroft. Ravencroft, what a cool name. Um, Mary Louise Ravencroft was, oh, uh, Conchetta Farrell was also in the show um, Two and a Half Men from 2003 to 2015 and Aaron Brockovich in 2000. Um, she unfortunately passed away in 2020, which I didn't realize until I was actually looking up uh, doing research for this film. So sad that she passed away. She was a great actress. Um, oh, and Mr. Deeds of Adam Sandler in the mid 2000s as well. Good movie. Yeah, a fantastic actor. Fantastic actress, truly. Um, next up, we have James Gandolfini, the Don, another Don, <laughs> really playing the character of Virgil. In this case, just an enforcer for the Don of this film. But once again, of course, James Gandolfini, of course incredibly well-known and deservedly so for his role in The Sopranos. I like how you said, oh, I don't put TV shows in here, but the last two have been TV shows. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> Jimbo. I'm just calling it like I see it, Kyle. Judge me by what I say, not by my actions. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> that's, what, that's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> Uh, they're one and the same, Jimbo. Of course, The Sopranos, legendary, but quickly acclaimed show. I think still to this day, probably the best show ever made, actually. Uh, but of course, The Sopranos from 1999 to 2007. Um, he was also in the films Enough Set. I believe that was in 2009. I forgot the year. I didn't write down the year there. And The Last Castle in 2001, a film That's that a we good movie. keep meaning to get around to. And one day we'll get a podcast for it, for we sure. We almost... We'll let you a little hint. We almost chose that as what we were going to do for it was the live show that's already at that. A huge contender. We're like, that, we might do that one. Uh, it, it was it was the movie for like a month. And then we was like, ah, Not more. And then, not we're, and then we just kind of went to another one because like it's, it's yeah. It's 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 not that it's like a particular like like a, a particular huge movie for us to cover. It's just a movie that like we know we want to get around to and we just need to find the right spot for it. And right. we will eventually. Um Next up, we have Anna Thompson playing the character of Lucy. Anna Thompson was also in the film Night Unforgiven in 1992. Um, Victor Argo in the case character of Lenny. He was in the film King of New York in 1990. Paul Bates plays Marty. Paul Bates was also in Coming to America in 1988. He was the um, singer um, when like the the bride comes in and like that. He was like like Eddie Murphy's chief assistant back in. Jamunda or whatever what was the name of the fictional country that Coming to America was from I forget the name of that country but he was an awesome character in that film love him to death um, next up we have Chris Penn playing the character of Nicky Dimes Chris Penn was also in the film Reservoir Dogs another Tarantino film in 1992 next up we have Tom Sizemore playing the character of Cody Nicholson Tom Sizemore is probably easily most well known for his role in Saving Private Ryan in 1998 Played an amazing soldier in that film. Forget the character's name, though. And next up, we have Sed Farage playing the character of the clerk. He was in the film Green Zone in, in 2010. Then we have Gregory Sporledger playing the character of Burger Stand Customer in The Rock in 1996. Kyle, I was trying to do just do the name characters, but then they just threw in clerk and Burger Stand Customer <laughs> there in the middle of the named characters. <laughs> so... <laughs> Moving see, forward. see, my question wasn't that bad at the beginning because we have a burger stand in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have uh, Maria uh, Petolia playing the character of Candy. Uh, Maria was also in the film Godzilla in 1998. Everyone's favorite Godzilla. Is that the uh, <laughs> yes, Matthew, Matthew Broderick film? The one everyone hates? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's... 
there's a certain part that I appreciate about it. Next up, we have Frank Adonis playing the character of Frankie. Must be easy to play there. You're playing the role of Frank. Great. Like me playing the role of Kyle. <laughs> um, he was in the film Goodfellas in 1990. We have Kevin Corrigan playing the role of Marvin. Kevin Corrigan was also in the film The Departed in 2006. You can tell all these guys are part of this insane crime booth because they just do more Italian crime movies later. <laughs> Next up, we have Paul. Uh, we have uh, uh, Paul Ben Victor playing the character of Luca. Paul Ben Victor was also in the show The Wire from 2002 to five seasons. So it would have been 2008, 2007. Is that another TV show, Kyle? It is another TV show. You're right. Yes. Um, next up, we have Michael Beach playing the character of Wurlitzer. He was in the film, um, and Michael Beach was also in the film Aquaman in 2018, um, soon to be released sequel, I believe, in this year. Next up, we have John D. Angurio playing the role of police radio operator. Robert, uh, Police radio operator, uh, which is shown in the film, and he was also in Million Dollar Baby in two thousand four. Let me see if I can find the chief of police there. Um, gosh, who was the guy who was chief of police? Um, was it Boris Monty? No, I don't know which one it was. Ah, we'll have to see more over that. If I pull it up later, I'll see if I can find it. Bob it up. But moving on here, uh, we don't need... forget there was Jack Black was in this movie. Oh yes. as a... He, I think his his role got uh, cut, deleted. Yeah, deleted but scene. he was like a custodian at the theater. He was a uh, an usher. Yeah, the oh theater usher. Yeah, not custodian. <laughs> custodian is a janitor, <laughs> basically. Um, let's see here. Moving on, we have the awards for this film. Few and far between for the most part, actually. But overall, this film is pretty critically acclaimed. But right here, we have the 2020, uh, 2014 awards for the twenty twenty awards. <laughs> it's their fault, not mine. <laughs> Uh, where it was nominated for Best Actress for Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette and Best Original Screenplay, written by Quentin Tarantino. Is, Next, is that because it was 20 years old, or, or what, what was that for? Uh, it Why been, is it the 2020? I, no, it's, it's the 2014 awards. Yeah, but and the, the awards is the 2020, 2020 awards. So, so it would have been, yeah, it would have been 21 years old for that release year, because it released in 1993. But still, I guess they would have done it for a 20th anniversary thing. So I guess maybe that is what the 2020 awards is for, for 21-year-old movies, possibly. Um, that'd be an interesting thing. Maybe I should look up 2020 awards and report back on that, what that is, actually, just to get more um, information. Um, so I don't know, but it was nominated for both those things, and honestly, I think it deservedly could have won. I don't know what won that year. I'll look it up. Um, next up, we have the 2013 Key Art Awards, where it's a third-place award for the best trailer um, from the trailer of the Tarantino XX collection. I believe that's all the films he written and directed all bundled together in one uh, DVD compilation. So it had, apparently had an amazing trailer. How about that? Next up, we have the 2012 IGN Summer Movie Awards, where it won the best movie on Blu-ray. Once again, also part of the Tarantino XX collection, which actually included eight films. Why would you call it an, well, 20 years? So that's why. XX collection. <laughs> yes, 20 <yeah>. year <laughs> collection is eight films he's been part of at that time. Okay. Next up, we have the 2003 DVD exclusive rewards where it had the best audio commentary and library release for a DVD or Blu ray for the unrated director's cut. Huh. I might have to buy the Blu ray, actually, because I only buy it on Voodoo and I don't think it has the feature on there for it. So I might buy the Blu ray of this one. I, bu- I, I bought the director's cut on there. I, I got the unrated cut too, but I didn't. Um, I, no, did you get the unrated or the director's? I don't know how many cuts they have available on Voodoo. Yeah, I, mean, I bought up. the director's one. I bought. I, I. I got. I have the unrated cut of it. <laughs> so I wonder if the director's cut has all the extra features on there. Yeah, because the unrated cut has no features at all. It's just the movie straight up, which which is fine. Which is fine. Um, but still, if I can get the Blu-ray of it, but after have... five, when I was watching at five o'clock this morning, I wasn't about to go watch anything extra. Yeah. I'll tell you that. The, the only one available on Voodoo is the just the unrated director's the unrated director's cut. That's what it's listed as in the Voodoo collections. That's that's a weird full factoid too. That's a, that's an annoying thing about films and they get re-releases and then like they lose features on their next re-release or in the digital conversion thing. Film formats is always a tough thing to get around. It's where like the VHS is the best version because you get like the best. It's weird. <laughs> you know, you got to get the PG thirteen cut of this film. Oh my god! Could you imagine what a direct to TV cut of this film sounds like? Yeah, I want to say hi, Elvis movie, <laughs> Street Fighter. Uh, uh, I'm take, no fruit. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the burger with chili and cheese. The oh end. god I would love to see the TV cut of this film so bad it'd be hilarious oh god that'd be great okay next up we have the 1995 Fantasporta Awards where it was nominated for the International Fantasy Film Award it's a fantasy film where's the wizard <laughs> uh- <laughs> 
I'm not going to say anything because if I do, it's going to sound bad. Oh, boy. How does it make that category? The fantasy film collection. It's because Elvis is magic. i got to move on. Oh, my gosh. Okay, compose myself, compose myself. In 1994, it was nominated for three awards from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films in the U.S. of A. It was nominated for Best Writing for Quentin Tarantino, Best Actor to Christian Slayer, and Best Actress to Patricia Arquette. All nominations, no wins, unfortunately. Then in 1994, it won the Best Newcomer of the Year award, awarded to Quentin Tarantino. So I wonder if this is actually the first one made to his direct credit in 1994. I'd be interested to see that, too. Um, and then finally, we have a nomination for the Best Kiss Scene between Christian Slater <laughs> and Patricia Arquette for the, MTV and plus, for the MTV Movie and TV Awards. Do you think that was in the phone booth? Or do you think that was in the... In the oh. When he come back and killed... Oh, that would Drexel even darker. Yeah. Jeez. It's great where it's like, for everything good about this movie, there's another part of it you're like, but that's incredibly gross too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a call girl. Romantic kiss. <laughs> I killed a man. Romantic kiss. <laughs> we sold a bunch of drugs. Romantic kiss. You got shot in the eye. Romantic, Romantic kiss. You're alive. Romantic kiss. <laughs> movie's messed up in some of the best ways possible i can really appreciate that but anyways that covers the awards and the cast of true romance jimbo let's dive into <laughs> he's like please take it away from some me. of the trivia all right so we can dig our own yeah, like, for ourselves like, Kyle, so this movie is so messed up uh christian slater we know is crazy in mm-hmm. this movie oh yeah definitely. but patricia arquette may be even more crazier mm-hmm. the yeah. fight scene she has alone with james gandolfini in that hotel is just brutal. Oh my gosh! He is punching her, throwing her across the room. She stabs him in the shoe with a, mm-hmm. a wine corkscrew. She beats him over the head with an Elvis statue. Yeah, and, and, and then toilet, she shoots him. She shoots him like with five that shotgun, times. and then she takes it and just beats him with it. It's, it's very He's screaming like a crazy. maniac the whole time, and like it's, and like you know, and credit them as well. And Quentin Tarantino probably wrote the scene, but it's like she's not saved at all. It's all about her. Beating up this 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 mob, you know, basically hitman, uh, mob enforcer, and actually winning the fight with him, and in her specific ways, and like lighting his head on fire. Oh my gosh, so many crazy! Yeah. That fight scene is absolutely brutal and insane in a way that really only Tony Scott, Grant Tarantino, could ever make that kind of scene that that um, visceral. It felt like right. Yeah, yeah. So um, you keep going. Yeah. So right. here we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trivia section of the DVD special feature reports that Quentin Tarantino sold this script for about $10,000. With this money, he purchased the red Chevy Chevelle convertible that Vincent Vega drives in Pulp Fiction. Wow. Okay. So Cool little fun fact there. <laughs> uh, when Dick Ritchie throws the suitcase full of coke into the air, a dare to keep kids off drugs bumper sticker can be seen. <laughs> That's fantastic. Awesome. Uh, Bronson uh, Pinchot uh, ad-libbed the scene where his character was caught with the cocaine, which is another place he speaks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the girl, he's trying to get the girl to hide the cocaine bag, and she ends up smacking it, and it goes all over oh, his face. Wow, oh, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, uh, the screenplay of this movie was originally part of a 500-page screenplay written by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery called The Open Road. The other half of it was used for Natural Born Killers. So uh, this and Natural Born Killers were basically together in one screenplay. Oh, that's incredible. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Dennis Hopper, the only words that were improvised in the scene with Christopher Walken were eggplant and cantaloupe. <laughs> that scene right there is is pretty crazy. That's probably the craziest scene in the movie to me as far as dialogue because... Yeah. Uh, they go, they go down this rabbit hole. Um, J- uh, Dennis Hopper knows that he's not getting out of this alive. And he goes down this story about uh, how Sicilians are related to the African yeah. yeah, it, so, it just goes... To, yeah. I think he's trying to make him mad to kill him quicker. Exactly. That's what I think. That's what I took the scene. Like, yeah, Dennis Hopper is going through this whole tirade, um, essentially trying to... Um, 
to uh, elicit um, the mobsters' racism or something like that, too, by saying, like, actually, all mobsters were parented by black people. And really, you all are a, 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 a black people, a bad word for black people. <laughs> and as he keeps going down that entire rabbit hole to the point where um, Christopher Walken's character is so just struck by his insults, he begins laughing because it's so absurd and over the top that he just can't help but just laugh at him. And then when he finally collects himself, Chris Walken finally collects himself and has a great scene where, like, you know, says, like, actually, you're an eggplant. And he goes back, you're a cantaloupe. <laughs> just start laughing maniacally. And he just gets up and he's absorbed. And he finally, after hearing all those, inter- like, terrible insults, he grabs a gun and just immediately blows Dennis Hopper away. This shoots him several more times. Yeah. But I think the the telling scene of of that is he gets his little handkerchief out and he dips it in like the aquarium water and starts wiping off his hands. Wiping (laughs) off his blood. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Dark scene. Really dark. As a whole movie is. Uh, Tarantino said that he never visited this set while uh, during filming because he didn't direct it. He just wrote it. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the roller coaster scene was originally written to have taken place in a zoo. Tony Scott changed it to give the movie more of an adrenaline rush to keep the the flow going of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of sums up like and it's a great like symbology of like yeah, Christian Slater's entire life in this film is just that his on a mad dash of just like going by you know going by the edge of the seat basically like that, trying to like you know get married, you know get, get this drugs, sell it off, and then you know fly away you know it's such a dangerous kind of visceral ride that it makes sense to put a roller coaster literally in the film it's like the, the roller coaster ride is Christian Slater's character to a T <laughs> yeah. uh, director Tony Scott gave Patricia Arquette the purple Cadillac as a gift after shooting wrapped as the Ford Futura she was wearing uh, wearing she was driving at the time kept on breaking down so you can hear that on Patricia Arquette uh, in the twenty or 2002 DVD commentary where she says that. Oh, nice. Uh, according to director Tony Scott, Val Kilmer had originally wanted to play the character of Clarence. Kilmer spent eight hours in makeup being transformed into Elvis Presley, as we talked about. Fortunately, he was only required for two days of filming. The character is called Mentor in the closing credits so as not to face any litigation from the Presley estate. Hmm. Uh, the scene on the roller coaster was filmed over two days. Michael Rappaport, unfortunately, has a fear of roller coasters and suffers from acute motion sickness, facts which no one knew during the first day's filming. By the second day, the crew was prepared for this, and they gave him something to calm his nerves. As a result, one can easily tell <laughs> from cut to cut on which day a particular moment was filmed by watching his face in the background. His expression goes back and forth from apprehensive and nauseous the first day to bland and oblivious of his surroundings the second day. It's almost like they gave him a lot of illegal narcotics. Yeah. <laughs> Which they probably just said, open the suitcase here, take some of the... Here's an entire bottle of Valium. Take yeah. this and film. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt found the hat he is wearing in the kitchen sequence on the boardwalk in Venice, California. He took it, washed it, and wore it in the film. So somebody's hat made it into this film. <laughs> That's fantastic. It looks good. It's a good-looking hat. It looks worn down and shabby in the way exactly like Clarence would wear. Right. <laughs> Gary Oldman stated in an interview that he would like to do a film completely on Drexel Spivey. Which would be very interesting. I, I think time is definitely passed for that, you yeah. know, 30 years later now. But still, like, like yeah, I would ask, he is such a crazy kind of pathetic character that I would love to see more of him, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Quentin Tarantino chose the name Alabama as an homage to Pam Greer, who was Alabama in Women in, Ca- uh, Women in Cages. The original script even had Clarence mentioned that the name sounded like a Pam Greer character. Uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote the roles of Clarence Worley and Alabama Whitman, with Robert Carradine and Joan Cusack in mind. Joan Cusack would have been great for the role, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah? What about this one? Drew Barrymore. Would she have been a good one? She was the first choice. How old would she have been in the film? Because, like, if... Well, Kyle, we all know you loved her in E.T. in 1982. As a child. Right. Not so a, you had 10 not years. As a romantic lead. So <laughs> you had, what, 11 years onto that, 12 years or whatever? I think it I still know. might actually have been a little too young for the role, but I don't know how Patricia Arquette was for this role either. So maybe maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, no Julia Lewis was also considered for the role. Uh, their motel room fight scene between Alabama and uh, Virgil took five days to shoot that. Really? That probably well, makes sense, actually. <laughs> Uh, copies of the original script sent out to studios had the tagline, When you're tired of relationships, try a romance. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's dumb. It's eye-catching. I, I can see that. I can see how that sells. <laughs> Gary Oldman met with Tony Scott about the project and told him he hadn't had a chance to read the script he'd been sent yet. Then asked Scott what his part would be like. Scott told him, You're playing a white guy who thinks he's black and you're a killer pimp. 
Oldman laughed and immediately accepted the role. <laughs> oh, here you oh, go. Yeah. For the role of Vincenzo Cacati, Liam Neeson. Liam, for, for the role of Drexel. No, no. Oh, no. oh, oh for the for, for, yeah, for Christopher Walken's character, yeah. Liam Neeson. I don't know how well Liam Neeson you know, plays Sicilian. He would have been like, he should have called up uh, uh, that house in L.A. where they were. He's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. But I, but will I will find you, you, and I will get my cocaine. <laughs> um, so here's some other people that uh, Tony Scott has spent trying to find uh, these actresses to play Alabama: uh, Bridget Fonda, Diane Lane, Kara Sedwick, and Julia Roberts. Uh, Diane Lane would have been really cool to see. Julia Roberts, that's an interesting choice. She may have been able to pull that off. I could see that pulling, I could see that working very well. Bridget Fonda would have been cool, too. Bridget Fonda would have been awesome cool. Here you go, Kyle. This is, a, uh, this is probably my favorite fact I found. The sunglasses that Christian Slater wears throughout this movie can also be seen on Uma Thurman in Kill Bill Volume 1. Oh. She takes them from Buck after she wakes from her coma and wears them to shield her eyes from the fluorescent hospital lights. Yeah, yeah. It's... It, it, it's it's kind of it speaks to how well Tarantino can write a script that even when Tony Scott's directing it, it has it still retains so much of Tarantino's kind of isms throughout his entire film career. That's like there's so much Elvis in every single film he has, right? Even the westerns, frankly. And, um, uh, Harvey Weinstein considered Steve Buscemi for the role of Clarence Worley. Can you imagine? Steve can you imagine him playing the? Yeah, can you imagine him playing the Christian Slater role? Buscemi was born been, old. That would have been awesome. I think, uh, man. Honestly, the film might have even been better that way because I think Steve Buscemi plays the most crazy people. Yeah, well, he plays crazy people, but also just the most kind of like uh, he he has like almost a vibe of a weakling almost, even though he's like in reality he's a strong, great man. But like you know, on, on his screen presence, he has like the idea of kind of like a, a, an insular person, you know, person. Like he puts up that vibe so well. Um, he, that would have been great. I would have loved to see that actually. Um, Weird case where I agree with Weinstein. <laughs> wow. Uh, Quentin Tarantino revealed that Brooke Shields badly wanted the role of Alabama Whitman. Brooke Shields would be really cool. So, so did uh, Uma Thurman was also considered. I can never say no to Uma Thurman. But I can. <laughs> um, Michael Madsen was an uh, early choice for the role of Vincent uh, Vincenzo Cacati. Har- Harvey Harvey Weinstein, jerk, uh, thought that Christian Slater was too good looking to play Clarence. I told Warner Brothers that he would rather have someone like Steve Buscemi play the part. Warner Brothers immediately fired him for this request. That's fantastic. <laughs> so Harvey went to Quentin Tarantino and told him they're going to be partners and not associated with Warner Brothers after this film. Yes. And to be clear, every time we mention Harvey Weinstein, we're thinking, this guy sucks and is a terrible yeah, person. He's it's terrible. absolutely zero redeeming qualities. So very common for Harvey Weinstein to lose. Very good for good for him losing always. <laughs> uh, Gary Oldman had his Dracula wig maker work on Drexel's dreadlock wig, and he sported one of his eyes from the same movie. His seventy-year-old mother was on set each day, and he would solicit her opinions on his performance. <laughs> I, I hated it. Perfect, put in the movie. <laughs> I hate watching you do this. Thank you, mom. <laughs> That's exact action. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine her being on the set when Christian Slater goes back to the the. the a oh. club. Uh, <laughs> Talking yeah. about the film and yeah, like that no. too. <laughs> With his mom watching. <laughs> stop, pal. Just stop. Uh, during his stay in the uh, hotel with, uh, without a phone, James Gandolfini rarely used the shower. After he noticed Christopher Walken uh, declined earplugs for the scene where Dennis Hopper gets shot, Gandolfini decided to do the same. He couldn't hear for three days. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> what? Uh, director Tony Scott slapped Patricia Arquette on set. He did so with her permission, and by the end of shooting, she was asking for the persuader to be able to act in key scenes. Slap me again! <laughs> uh, it, with consent? Okay. <laughs> That's always good, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt improvised most of his lines. Um, well, little because he was a stoner, it didn't really matter what he said. Yeah, exactly. You just say whatever he wants, and as long as just as long as it gets, gets where he needs to go, it's good. In a 2011 interview with the American Film Institute, Gary Oldman was asked to name his favorite role. He chose two. Do you know which two he chose? Um, oh, okay. So it had to be this film and some other film. Yeah. So Drexel Spivey from this movie and what other role uh, that he was in was his favorite? Gary Oldman's favorite role. I don't know what that would be. It had to be a role he had fun with, obviously. But I don't know which one of the role would be. What, it, surpri- it surprised me because I don't think it'd be Commissioner Gordon. I don't think it'd be you know. Like, it's not Dracula. 
Dracula. Darkest Hour, uh, where he played uh, Winston Churchill. I don't think it'd be any of those films. What, what's what's the film, Jimbo? Tell me. Lee Harvey Oswald and JFK. I didn't even know he did that. <laughs> wow. That's how good of an actor he is, I Kyle. Have, I have, and I haven't watched JFK. <laughs> well, we got to cover that. That'll take us down a long rabbit hole. I'm here. sure... I, that sounds like a huge can of worms. <laughs> Ask Quentin Tarantino is. <laughs> uh, the two Vietnam, uh, Vietnam movies name-checked in the conversation with the movie producer are Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter. Both starring Christopher Walken, of course. And Dennis Hopper. Dennis, yes, Dennis Hopper's also in there. Yeah, wow. It was, yeah. yeah. No, Christopher Walken wasn't in Apocalypse Now, was he? Uh, the Deer Hunter. No, but did the Russian Dennis, Dennis Hopper, Hopper was, was. was in Apocalypse yeah. Now. But yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So it's one for each. Okay, yes, one for each. Thank you. So Kyle, here you go. Your 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 sole purpose in life is to find a VHS copy of this because some of the VHS copies had Paul Ben Victor shoot Chris Penn in the final shootout and not Patricia Arquette. What? That's cool. Yeah. Oh wow! I guess that makes sense because they they do a do a back to back shot where you don't actually see who shoots them. Right. Although you know, but you know, previous scene, producer shooting, then he gets shot. So that's interesting to see. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. Uh, the film was originally intended to end with both Clarence and Alabama dying, but Scott claims he had grown too attached to them and couldn't bear to kill them off. <laughs> I think that's like the craziest thing about the movie is that they have a happy ending. I think that's probably and they named her kid Elvis. <laughs> It is the most like. Wait a minute, they had a happy because that makes no sense at all. Like even how they get away, everything like that too. It oh, makes I have no a sense. Qu- I have a question. When mm-hmm. when at the end of the movie when they're leave they walk by the police and all the people right. They grab a suitcase, but that's not the suitcase that had the cocaine in it, right? No, it's because a suitcase it with the shot. money. The suitcase with oh, the money. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. They grab the money suitcase and get out of there, but the yeah, but you're right. The cocaine suitcase gets shot up with a shotgun yeah. like three times and it explodes and goes everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In a 2014 interview, Gary Oldman said he got the idea for Drexel's voice in a New York one day. He said, I heard a kid talking outside my trailer and literally pulled him in from the street and said, read this dialogue and tell me what you think. He read a couple of lines and said, that's good, but it don't fly. I wouldn't say that. I said, what would you say? And he helped authenticate it so I could show up and become that character. So that's pretty cool. He just grabbed a kid off the street. And- yeah, yeah. I think, you know, and, and, and grin, like a lot of the dialogue is... Better Gary Oldman grabbing a kid off the street than... Harvey Weinstein oh, yes. kind of get on the let's just oh my gosh that's twisted Jimbo, Jimbo right <laughs> yeah yeah but that's a that's a thing I like I you know I both want to give credit to and also kind of damn this film for but I was like this you know Quentin Tarantino's dialogue captured a lot of the worst kind of like uh like you know what do you think a scumbag would use this vital language for right. constantly for he captured that language in a way that feels authentic but also equally damnable and even putting it in the film is also objectionable for a lot of people I think for sure there's only a lot of people who are going to watch this film especially now who are like like this is disgusting well, to it, it's, but also, it's really crazy to hear Gary Oldman when when he's beating up Christian Slater at the beginning of the movie and he's like oh he asked uh, his bodyguard or whatever he's like oh is it kill the, kill the white is it white boy day or kill the white boy day I'm like yeah what is going like, on what are you talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, why are you saying that <laughs> that's what I said I was like huh. yeah. yeah it is like a I was just gonna put it on the drugs and be like this guy is just yeah yeah you know. but it, it's it's something like it gets that like it has like an authenticity to it and like a heightened sense of reality that Tarantino puts in like all of his works for the most part and uh, I, I I give credit for like that gives him his unique voice, but simultaneously, boy, does it age poorly for a lot of people, and I can't help but be like, yeah, you're right every time I hear of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, this was the first script I ever wrote, Quentin Tarantino said before clarifying that he had wrote several scripts before this, but the, but I had never finished any of them. So this is the actual first script that he ever finished. Okay. Uh, the questions that Clarence asked Alabama Whitman in the diner are essentially taken from the Playboy Centerfold questionnaires. <laughs> Uh, this is Tarantino's mom's favorite film of his. <laughs> <laughs> the one he didn't direct is great. <laughs> I love the film you had the least to do with. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Jason Lee turned down the role of Alabama, uh, but she would later play, or because she played a similar character in Miami Blues, she would later work with Tarantino in The Hateful Eight, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's original ending had Clarence dying in the gun battle, leaving Alabama a widow. Tarantino said that he intended Alabama to turn to crime and join with Mr. White, a character from Reservoir Dogs, which he wrote and directed. In a flashback scene in Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White is asked about Alabama. Wow. So that's it's really kind cool. of like a, a little Tarantino Small universe. moment, yeah. yeah. Because when we did uh, Pulp Fiction, mm. wasn't that tied into something else, too? 
If I remember right, yes, yes, because uh, Johnny, uh, the Vega Brothers, that was going to be the thing that they were going to make. Were, uh, were uh, 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 gosh, the coast. John Travolta's brother was supposed to be the character from Reservoir Dogs, but they also had the last name Vega, and they were going to do a film later that was going to be called The Vega Brothers. But unfortunately, they kind of aged out of those roles where they could play a prequel movie that pretty well. But uh, right. yeah, that would have been a very interesting film to see, and the, that kind of goes back to the span of the the Tarantino universe. Where there's simultaneously movies that take place in Tarantino's movies, and there's there's movies that take place in Tarantino's movie, Tarantino's universe, but there's also movies in that own universe too, which is really weird. Right? <laughs> yeah, but it's fun to see his his interconnected movies in a way that are fun. Yeah. So here we go. Following the eggplant scene with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, uh, Dennis uh, Dennis Hopper was concerned about being shot by Christopher Walken with the prop gun so close against his head for fear of being. Burned by the barrel. As he could have been, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Just wait for it. Oh, yeah, sorry. Director Tony Scott assured him... Oh. Assured him that the gun was 100% safe <laughs> and even tested it by having the prop man fire it against his, Scott's own forehead. Oh, no. But upon firing the prop gun... The barrel extended about a third of an inch, and Scott ended up on the floor with blood pouring from the wound. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. It's like you didn't die. Pow. It's absolutely not safe at all. Oh. It, it, it's a good thing that today, now, we, we can get away of using sound effects and CGI to fake that entirely. <laughs> um, you know, unless you're uh, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention it, Kyle, but you had to go there, didn't you? Luckily, we can do it safely now. Sometimes we don't still, but luckily we really can. And uh, yes, that is Patricia Arquette's four-year-old son, Enzo uh, Rossi, in the final scene of this movie. Oh, so, great. Playing Elvis. So, Kyle, mm-hmm. lay it on me. What do you think of True Romance? This film... Oh, gosh. This film feels like a guilty a, a guilty love child of mine. It's just like, this film is aged poorly in so many ways that I can find really objectionable where I know someone smarter than me can go through with the film and go like, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad for this reason and I can just, and all I can do is say, you're right. <laughs> but, but I love that part and I, I love that part. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. It is so ridiculous. It is so over the top. It is so outright offensive in so many places. I just can't help but appreciate its audacity of a film. And that's what I kind of feel um, is so entertaining about it. And that's where, like, uh, you know, so many people would say, like, oh, you can't make this film today. Like, you can't make Breaking Styles today. I think you can make a film with the audacity that this film has today. But once again, like, you have to earn it. And this film earns it to me in many ways, respects where it's just like, yeah, it goes out there. It says terrible things <laughs> with a lot of mixed you know, messaging behind it. But it's so just, gosh, so gung-ho. I can't help but appreciate it. And I really I really do love it a lot. Um, this film probably is, uh, I think... Well worth seeing for anyone who thinks they can tolerate it. <laughs> kind of like, kind of be my, my pre my pre message there. And it's a film for me that I absolutely is a guilty pleasure. Where I will watch it anytime, practically, um, in my own company, no one else's. Because <laughs> it's almost a shame to that film. And Tarantino himself is kind of like as like, uh, oh gosh, there was a joke recently um, in a new show. Um, they made about it. I think it's called the Jury Trial or, or a Jury Duty uh, TV show. Where they talked about it, it was like, you know, there's one director, you know, problematic history, but didn't get caught in the Me Too movement yet. And then another actor goes like, and his first name Quentin, because <laughs> I fully expect one day I'm going to learn some terrible things about him. <laughs> but I still can't help but kind of appreciate the arts uh, that he made, and uh, I really kind of appreciate his entire career. I'm excited for his next, uh, hopefully, probably last movie, The Critic, where he's going to stop being a movie director. But I kind of hope he still stays as a movie um, writer because I'm kind of curious to see how, what he does as he's developed and matured a little bit. Assuming nothing terrible gets revealed about him and I realize I don't want anything to do with his art. <laughs> um, but overall, I, I do appreciate this film. I think it's what we're seeing if you're an adult and can handle really mature language and really offensive language. Um, but those are the two, you know, three things you have to kind of like accept when you go into it. But overall, I like this one a lot. Jimbo, why are you, you rating it? Oh, out of 10? Um, gosh. Um, I'm going to give it a strong seven. That's where I'm kind of going to be at. Because like, I feel like if the film didn't have the kind of things that aged as poorly about it as it did, it would be an eight for me. If like somehow it stood the test of time where it felt legitimate or like it felt like it like it called out a lot of the, frankly, racist or homophobic moments it has in that film, I feel like those things could have been like 
could have brought it up a little bit, but unfortunately it does just kind of like, it just lets them linger in a way where it's like, oh yeah, this existed in the era, so it's okay just to depict it wholeheartedly. It's like, no, it's probably wrong then and wrong now to a degree. So that kind of keeps it from being an 8 for me, but a strong 7 where like I still do really appreciate, once again, the audacity of this film to exist. So I, I still can't help but appreciate on that level. So um, that's where I think, a strong 7. Jimbo, how do you feel about it? How would you rate it? Because I know you're not exactly the biggest Tarantino fan. Is a Tarantino fan is kind of like well, I am a little bit. Uh, the, you know. the, the the problem with this movie for, for for me right off the gate is the language. I mean, because in the first minute, two minutes of this movie, you've already heard so many f bombs and so many coarse language that it kind of takes me out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And and you understand later on, but it's because they're they're crazy. I, I get they're it. crazy and they're criminals of the '90s. Right? You know, it's like so. Um, <laughs> Stellar cast. I really like Christian Slater a lot. I've always liked him and Kevin Costner. You know, yeah. he's not Kevin Costner in this, but I've always liked them too. Um, and then you have the legendary actors of Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper, mm-hmm. um, James Gandolfini when he was uh, starting to come around. Uh, Patricia Arquette was just a peach in this movie. Um, and she may be more brutal and more violent than Christian this Slater is in this. Right. Uh, yeah. She may have more serious problems than that. Um, and, and it was funny because she's like been a call girl, but she's only been a call girl for four days in this movie. Three, three, I think it was like <laughs> yeah. three days. Yeah. And um, so, but, but Gary Oldman, outstanding performance again. Um, to me, I understand the premise of the movie. It's just, in some spots of this movie, it just, it just goes off in the left field and you're like, yeah. Okay. And then you come back to the main scene, you know what I mean? So this film is a mixed to, bag in some I respects. don't want to say I liked it um because I think that's too strong of a word. I think that, that fight scene between uh, James Patricia Arquette and, and her yeah. is top notch. And then when you go to the Mexican standoff at the end of the movie where you have the original the, drug transaction that's going down, then you have the I I'll call them the cops come in. And then you have the Sicilian gang come in, and they're like, all the, and then there's just a big shoot 'em up fest with feathers going everywhere and cocaine, like, uh, and, yeah, and bodies, extreme blood everywhere, and everything like that right? too. And to see Patricia Arquette and Christian Slater, uh, she picks him up because you think he's dead, and his eyes pretty much been shot out. And she picks him up, and they grab the briefcase, and they are they are walking through the hotel as another guy has a lady hostage. And none of the cops say anything. <laughs> just you know, they just go well, right behind. Yeah, because they're all they're all right. talking about the, the hostage situation. Right, and then they get yeah. in the car, and the cop cars are pulling in behind them. All that. So, um, <laughs> to me, if I'm going to rate this, um, taking in consideration the language, the actors, the story, the violence, <sighs> it's a tough one. Yeah, I understand. I, just, just. For what I mentioned, I'm I'm gonna go with a solid five. Solid five. That's right. I, I, I think, thought you were I think a there. five. It's it, it. I'm glad I watched it. Um, but is it something I'm gonna enjoy over and over again? No. Uh, maybe in small doses. You know what I mean? Um, and that's the thing too, where I think like as, as I mature, get a little bit more wiser. I think I'm gonna find it more objectionable too as I watch it. Cause right. Because like, there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of language that shouldn't even be in there. Um, and if certain people go back and watch this movie, it's going to be highly uh, offensive. Yeah, I, th- this movie reeks of a younger man trying to be edgy. Right. In the 90s especially. Yes. You know, and, and it just it reeks of that in a way where it's like, oh, man, like even if Tarantino like rewrote this film today, it would sound nothing like this, I'm sure. No. You know, because it really, it's no. just, it's, it, so, it, is, it is shock for shock's sake. But I mean, anymore. all-star cast. Oh, All-star truly. cast. Yeah. Um, so... That's mm-hmm. my take on it. Um, some people may love it. Some people may hate it. Uh, hate it, but um, it is what it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's like, it's like I feel like we, we've we've covered more like questionable scenes on a, on a morality level, but this one I feel like is the most one where I feel the most gray about. Where I'm like, am I in the wrong on this one for appreciating this one as much as I do? And I very much feel like I possibly am. You know, I mean, um, you know, it is what it is. But yeah. uh, you know, everybody's got an opinion, and you know, the yeah. whole cancel culture thing. I know how you feel about that too, and, and yeah, we've had talks about that on. too. Yeah. So. This one um, feels like right on the spectrum of that. They're like almost in the middle of that spectrum of it, where it's like I I, I could really go either way, right? Um, and you know, there's different movies that we talk about. Like we've talked about Pulp Fiction. We talked uh, to, no Tarantino film, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, 
I mean, there's there's a lot of other uh, films, you know, that that you can take stuff with like Training Day. Yeah, or just, like yeah, films of like real life bad history. Right, you know, right. you can uh, really American have to History X. Uh, yeah, or even those. Chinatown with a director and all those right. things too. Yeah, right. So um, there yeah. you have it. That's it's yeah, true romance. Like, so um, if you want to follow us on the social media, just look the tra- up the Tragedy of Cinema. If you want to reach out to us, the Tragedy of Cinema at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, we will read it on the air, good, bad, or, or ugly as a Tarantino film. Um, and yes, just a few days away, come see us this Saturday in Lebanon, Indiana at the Boone County Jailhouse. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. Um, I'm sure we there's only a handful left, so if you wanted to come, make sure you message me or something so I can see if there's still room, if it's not sold out. Uh, yeah. Only Jerry has access to that. So, yeah. But we got some cool stuff to give away, some door prizes. Um, we're just going to have some, so a good time. Yeah. And yep. Kyle, we- Kyle said he will sit there and he will take selfies with everybody that wants to I selfie. will absolutely take selfies with anyone who wants to take a selfie. I would be delighted to. Love you know what? Fans. Maybe we can get uh, Kyle to shave his head. Live, Live. on stage? And the jail. Oh, Kyle shaves gosh. his head. I, you know, I need a haircut. You're right. <laughs> I do. I have let it grow out way too far. That's and, a good idea. And maybe we're also going to have the the Stephen Emery family uh, there, and they have the Connors Foundation. So we'll we'll do something like if they get uh, donated a hundred dollars or something, maybe college <laughs> eyebrows too. Right. What are you getting me caught into? Gonna, I'm going to look like Uncle Fester. We're going to shave your eyebrows too. So <laughs> there you have it. It's it's a podcast guarantee. We are shaving Kyle's eyebrows. What are you doing? I'm bringing the I'm bringing the clippers. You just so. spawned this on me. We didn't talk about this at all. No. Oh no. That's how we oh, roll, no. Kyle. That's how we roll. You know you know how you know how you spawn. Uh, I didn't do any research here. Give me the notes. Guess what I just did. But that's every week. This is this is not you. Right. So you you you've got a little bit. I'm recording this a couple weeks okay. early, so so you get mentally prepared. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we hope you listen to next week's episode, which will be a surprise for everyone. Right. Let them know here. Yeah. But as so, uh, as I think I think I've tortured Kyle long enough. I think this episode's coming to a close. That's wrap and cut. <laughs>